It's not easy to talk about sex with our partners and be totally open. And when we don't, it creates barriers that creates a sex life that sucks. My guest today tells us how clear communication can ignite or even reignite the passion in our sex lives. I'm Dr. Christy Wise, and this is Life Sauce. Brooke Braylove is a psychotherapist and a licensed clinical social worker. She's a relationship expert who helps people work through shame, trauma, and learn self-compassion. So, uh, Brooke, I'm very excited to talk to you, and I love the fact that you're located way over there and I'm way over here because what we have is a lot in common, but very different environments. Right, uh-huh. and so we're we're talking about communication and intimacy, and I also think that a lot of this is how we're socialized, how we're taught in school, you know, the the family we grow up in. So I'm curious a little bit about your background and tell me how you got into this field in the first place. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me, and. Um, So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and um, I've always been, you know, pretty liberal minded uh, person who kind of just tells it like it is. And uh, I decided to go into social work and I was working with a lot of couples in my private practice. I've had a private practice just outside D.C. for 19 years and I was working with couples And I felt kind of unskilled in terms of when they would talk about their sexual relationship. And so I decided that I really needed, you know, some more training. And then I went on to become an ASEX certified sex therapist, um, which was a pretty grueling process, actually. Um, But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I work with uh, individuals and couples providing sex therapy. It's so great. And you're right. That is such a grueling process. I was actually talking to one of my other guests and we were talking about how even in in higher education, we don't always get the education that we really need. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody really does, which kind of brings us back to, you know, being socialized, how to communicate, even be Mm -hmm. in touch with what we need or want or how we feel. And then we add environment and all of that stuff. And it kind of, you know, inhibits things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, there's a lot that comes up in sex therapy around childhood messages. um, And that greatly impacts. I mean, you know, what words did your parents use to talk about your genitals? Did they call it your wee-wee or did they call it your penis? Yes. Right. We know a lot more now. We should be using, you know, the accurate uh, terms for genitals. Yes. Yeah. And don't you even see in your couples when they're talking about frustrations and desire and that even that is difficult for them to use the proper language or, you know, be really clear about what they want or need? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I tend to try to shock people a little bit in the beginning um, because I want to show them how comfortable I am talking about sex so that they can have more courage. So, you know, women and men will use things, terms like down there or that part, 
um, or, you know, we were doing, you know, that kind of thing. Or um, my, my favorite really is just this idea that the word intimacy is somehow supposed to mean sex. Right. And so when they say, well, you know, we were intimate, I go, do you have sex? You know, <laughs> um, because I don't know what that means. Intimacy is handholding. Intimacy is cuddling. Intimacy is, you know, reading poetry to each other. I mean, there's so many different ways. So I just try to get very clear. And of course, the main thing that happens, which I'm sure you hear all the time, is that sex for most couples means intercourse. And obviously for a lot of straight couples, it means penis in vagina intercourse. And we've got to get away from this idea that that's all sex is. Yes. That's so true. Yeah. Especially when they, it's the final destination in their mind, not realizing that there are so many other destinations or that that's just part of the whole experience with one another. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I always tell couples who've been married for a long time or, you know, are partnered. And again, this all is about same sex um, couples, your sexual orientation doesn't matter, your gender identity. This is really around having been with the same person sexually for a long period of time. And I always say, remember when you first met, do you remember how long you just kissed? Just do that tonight intercourse off the table. I love taking intercourse off the table for, for uh, couples because it usually just allows a total reset and it gets you back to basics, basic touch, sensual touch, sexual touch. Um, But again, I mean, you talk to a lot of couples who've been together for a long period of time and they don't kiss anymore. No, they don't kiss. They, and actually their pajamas might not even come all the way off. Do you, that is, that's for sure too. There is right. no doubt about right. that. And I love, I love assigning that too, because sometimes I think there's a little bit of reverse psychology in that, that if, you know, we're saying, okay, you guys, between now and next week, I don't want any intercourse. Like, you know, then they're like, what? I'm like, but we really weren't having intercourse all that much before, but okay. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I think you've just got to flip that dynamic. And if a dynamic is one person is always wanting sex and one person doesn't want it, then to take it off the table is certainly relieving to the person who doesn't want it. But it also challenges the other person to try to find other ways to connect, which may really please that partner. Yeah. Do you remember when you, I think, I don't know if you had this, but like somewhere around third or fourth grade, the kids are assigned a task that they have to communicate through, like how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but Mm. they have to communicate the steps, pick up the knife, put it in the jelly. It's a really difficult thing because we think we're communicating clearly, like go make a sandwich. And it's so not clear. Sometimes I feel like it needs to even come down to the nitty gritty of those words. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think what what's hard is people are so resistant, right? This idea that all sex should be spontaneous. Can I curse on here? Or of no. Course. Bullshit. <laughs> yes. Bullshit. Yep. What we find is the predominant kind of sex occurs responsively, right? 
So this idea of spontaneous arousal versus responsive arousal. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, if you if you're sitting around waiting to get horny, <laughs> you'll just be sitting around forever. What That's are you right. going to do about it? What responsibility are you going to take for your own libido? Yeah. Yeah. So that just feels really way. important. Oh, really important. And not putting it just on one partner. Like, well, he's just not doing it and he needs to jump through all these hoops and, you know, yeah. all that. And he's feeling like, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this, yeah. you know, and it becomes very, and then there becomes some resentment and frustration mm -hmm. connected to that uh, sex and intimacy that doesn't need to be there. Right. And, you know, if you ask, let's say that woman, do you masturbate? And she says, no, not at all. Then oh. how in the world can she communicate what she likes if she doesn't even know it? Yeah. We're not mind readers. Right. So get over it. That's right. Your partner will never know exactly how you want to be touched unless you give feedback. And feedback obviously can be words, but it can also be sounds, yes. right? Yes. Or, you know, ow, or, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a, whoa, whoa, a big whoa. fan of, yeah, just uh, stop that immediately. Yeah, not there, not there. I'm not there, yeah. right. Yeah. Wrong hole. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Slow down, is. cowboy. I want jewelry yeah. if we're doing that. No. <laughs> yeah. you know that. But even those kinds of communications where there's your body language or the sounds or then we're talking about being able to communicate and I get that language is difficult for people. Mm -hmm. I love, by the way, that you desensitize right out of the gate. You yeah. know, uh, many years ago I saw, pup this is random, Puppetry of the Penis in La Jolla. I'm in San Diego. It yeah. was fabulous. These guys, you know, came overseas and they do literally a puppet show with their penis, like the foreskin and stuff. So right oh, when wow. they come on stage, they all just get naked and they say, let's just get this out of the way. This yeah. is a penis. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's important because many of us just don't even have that relationship with our own body. No, no absolutely not. And, you know, I mean, this is where I, I feel quite sad for a lot of people. And again, I'm going to speak a little bit specifically about women. I do work with more women than men, although couples too. But, you know, women, first of all, women don't even know that it's not a vagina, it's a vulva. Literally grown, you know, adult yeah. women don't understand that the vagina refers to the opening only. Yeah. And really the entire thing that we, you know, boys have penises and girls have vaginas. Right. We're going to have to change that. Right. Boys have penises and girls have vulvas. <laughs> right. So just to give that accurate um, information. And then I must say, I have been completely shocked to see how very few people know the actual shape of a clitoris. They have no idea what it actually looks like. So, you know, sex therapy 101 is, um, I don't have a puppet yet. Yeah. Um, I'll have to get one of those from my office, but I, you know, pull up my laptop and say, this is actually the structure of a clitoris. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That education is so, it's difficult for people you know, and there's so much negativity like associated with their parts that they don't even want to, or they feel awkward or, do you know, so how do you, um, I don't know, inspire that kind of communication, that open communication in your couples that are, you know, hesitant about it? Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, first I try to desensitize some of these words, right? And I'll just kind of have us play around with them. You know, let's say a couple difficult words, you know, scrotum and, you know, penis and queefing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. And and really, honestly, it gets people to laugh, right? Yeah. That's the idea. Because when they laugh, just that little bit of edge comes off. And then they're more likely to be able to talk to each other. Yeah. So I really do desensitize kind of right away. Um, But a lot of what I do kind of initially is just to normalize the fact that you all have not learned or known much about how to talk about sex. It is basically taboo. It really is. And so you just see a lot of couples and, you know, they'll have been married 20, 30 years. And I'll say, do you all talk about your sexual relationship? And, you know, a lot of times the answer is no. And I'll say, does that mean not very often or, you know, and they've literally never had a conversation about what they like, what they don't like certainly never shared fantasies, never looked at pornography together or read erotica together. I mean, just such separate experiences. Or even I'll ask, um, you know, a couple, a man, you know, do you think, does your wife masturbate? And he'll say, I have no idea. So they're even hiding, you know, their own personal Mm -hmm. exploration of their bodies. Yeah. I have couples where they're even mad at each other for masturbating. Yes. Yes. There is a whole, right. Yeah. There is a whole thing about that. I have a pretty strong opinion about Uh that, um, which is that unless masturbation, the frequency or intensity of masturbation is actually interfering with the sexual relationship, then I believe we all have the right to, you know, be with ourselves and enjoy ourselves. And in fact, the more we can do that and know what pleases us, the more we can communicate that to our partner. So people who masturbate in marriages are usually much happier. And again, I'm not talking about chronic, you know, addictive masturbation or anything like that. Right. I even think the idea of like mutual masturbation and all of that is incredibly sexy and fabulous because it's like, okay, I'm I'm seeing what you're doing. That's I'm learning, but I'm also feeling what I'm doing and that's sexy. Yeah. 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 That's a great thing to do. I will say there is a ton of shyness around that. Uh Um, People would rather do some other quite what I consider sort of, you know, outrageous acts, Uh Um, not outrageous, but outside the box. Yes. And, you know, you say, well, you know, do you masturbate in front of each other? And there is something around, you know, masturbation being very private for a lot of people, right? Yeah. We are told, in fact, we are shamed mm-hmm. when we are younger about masturbation. Um, and, you know, even I think parents who say, you know, that's fine, you can touch yourself, but we do that in the privacy of our own room. And so this idea of sharing it with someone, I think, is sort of like, going behind the, you know, the, the Oz, seeing Oz behind the curtain. Yeah. Like what's really behind the curtain. I also think that people are very self-conscious. I have a lot of clients that will think like, I don't like my orgasm face or I don't, you know what I mean? I don't like the sounds I make. So they're so in their head about what their expressions are or what their body's doing or what their smells are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's really amazing. Um, 
that people are just so in their heads, spectating, imagining what their partner is thinking when they look at them. Um, And it's so hard. And and I understand, it's not that I don't understand. Certainly, you know, we've all struggled with some of those things. Um, But it really, really gets in the way of being in your body and in the experience. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And sometimes they, you know, given what their backgrounds, their education, their religion, all that stuff, they have a very difficult time like switching hats. Like I am mm-hmm. a mom, I am an yeah. employee, I am a sexual being. They have a hard yeah. time making that switch, which is actually part of the communication because sometimes yeah. you're still in your mom hat and I'm in my sensual hat and we're missing each other. Right? Yeah. And, and I really hear about that a lot specifically for some reason, I hear this all the time with, when a woman says, um, in a heterosexual relationship, I just hate when I'm doing the dishes and he grabs my ass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because she is so not there. Yeah. And often, um, he thinks he's being quite playful, mm-hmm. but but women often experience that as very cringy and just feel so kind of intruded upon. Yes. Um, so I would uh, tell a lot of men, um, wait until she's a little bit less preoccupied with, you know, a household duty or something with the children right. um, and even ask her, you know. Um, can I have a hug? I mean, I, again, I think men are doing nothing wrong. I just, I have just noticed that women don't really enjoy that very much. That's exactly. And I think that we think that we're communicating. Actually, I'm thinking of this one couple I had, and I realized that the way that they communicate was so much on the surface, they couldn't hear. So he would say things Mm -hmm. like, you know, he'd get an erection and he'd say, Hey, how do you feel like sucking that? And she's like, what? Not if my life depended on it right now. Yeah. And I right. have them talk about what it really means, and like really, really. And when he gets to the bare bones, ultimately it was like, you know, when we first dated, you would get excited about giving me oral sex, and yeah. it would, made me feel loved and cared for yeah. and wanted like a real man, and now you don't ever want to. And yeah. she'd say, well, if you would have ever told me that way, of course yeah. I'd want to. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, any, I think any kind of demanding tone, um, or something that the other person might find kind of crass, Yes. I think doesn't go very well. But again, if it comes from need, I miss yeah. the way you used to do this when we were younger, yeah. it made me feel so good. And right. And even that's that tone change, right? Which is a softness. And it's also about connection. It's about pleasure, but there's connection involved in the way you communicate that. Right. One is a demand. One is an invitation. One, you know, they're very, very different. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I also think, you know, in terms of how we change those hats that some people aren't even equipped with a hat, they you know what I mean? They've tried or they've gotten close. So I feel like sometimes it's nice to go through a side door. Like for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have our, you know, fun side or our sexual side or, you know, and so I even have them name it. So like in my mind, Mm -hmm. if I go out with my girlfriends and we're dancing, not Christy, but Tiffany shows up. She's Ah. the slutty one that can wear that skirt and it doesn't matter. Do you know, there's this other identity that I think that 
I enjoy and she gets to join. And I feel like sometimes giving perm- permission to people to have that other identity frees them up because it's like, oh, it's not me. It's Tiffany that wants to try this new thing. That's awesome. That's that's really great. I mean, that's, you know, I think Beyonce has the Sasha Fierce yes. other part of her, right? Yes. She's named that. Yeah. So it's the same concept. And I agree um, because it, we are different parts, yeah. right? Um, you know, internal family systems work is all about parts work. Yeah. And so if we name that we have this other part that likes to do, you know, different kinds of things isn't so vanilla it could also decrease the shame when we say that part of me really wants to try that yeah that's right and and it's almost like an out like well you might not want to but what do you think that she would want you know yeah I think that's a great strategy I really do I haven't used that one so it's a really fun (laughs) maybe maybe I'll steal it role play like yeah well that's tonight like Tiffany would dress you know, yeah. very yeah, yeah, empowering yeah. in a lot of ways, Do you know, yeah. especially if then you can learn to incorporate all of them freely and not have to use Tiffany, <laughs> Do you, know right. you know? Yeah. So in your practice, in terms of communication, do you find that there are certain things that women need compared to what men? Mm-hmm. Um, I think women really need, um, the, you know, this is, I'm sure as you see all the time, women need the connection before the sexual activity and men need the sexual activity in order to feel closer, right? This is always the big conundrum, right? Um, And so I really talk about this idea of just each one taking one step toward the middle um, so that they're negotiating that a little bit. Um, But I think if men can communicate more about that, this really helps them be feel closer emotionally. And, and women really understand that, that it's not that they don't want to feel closer emotionally, but their order of operations is just different. Um, And so I think Rather than, because otherwise I think the narrative for a lot of women is he, all he wants is sex, which simply isn't true. But when he taps into that, when that need gets met, um, you know, most people say, God, my husband is so much less grumpy after we have sex. And, you know, that's what he considers a need, right? Um, so I think communicating, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown's clear is kind. Yeah. So I really think that if we explained more about if we, if we want to turn our partner down for whatever reason, if we explained more about why we're turning them down, you know, um, lots of times people don't want to have sex because they ate too much. Yes. Right. And they're full. Or they know they had onions at lunch and are worried about their breath. But instead, it's just kind of a complete shutdown. You know, no, I don't want to do that. So that leaves the partner going, why are they rejecting me? I don't understand. And then the partner just tells the story. She must not find me attractive anymore. I knew he was upset that um, I came home late last night. Right. And so if we're, if we're really clear, it's the most kind thing we can do because then that person's, the other person's not guessing about why, 
That's right. It offers them a chance. Do you know? Do you think that in that communication that people, um, I don't know, sometimes I, I guess I'm thinking that they don't really hear each other. They're so busy thinking about what they're not and what they should be and how it mm-hmm. should be said and that they don't actually hear the full communication. Do you think that that's true, that, you know, when they finally have the courage to speak, that they get to the point where they're really saying, like, what's so? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's really difficult to ask for what you want. And I think there's just so much fear that we need to acknowledge, right? There's just so much fear of if I really tell you what I want, Maybe you'll think it's disgusting. You know, maybe you'll think I'm crazy for wanting this. You know, I don't know if you want that. And I also um, really explained to couples, you know, yes, you're looking for an overlap of, you know, experimenting, but sometimes, you know, we can do things for our partner, just for our partner. And kind of use this way of, you know, tonight, I want to focus on you. And tonight, you know, tomorrow night, we're going to focus on you. And I think that's important because, again, how many people are orgasming through intercourse at the exact same time? Right, right. right. How how much is that really happening? No, right. And But again, if we continue to hold that up as a reasonable, normal, you know, easy goal, everybody's going to feel less than, and I don't want that for people. You know, I want them to feel good about what their bodies can do. Um, and you know, even if it takes a while. Yeah. Even if it takes a while, that part I love because it's kind of like, well, didn't happen. You know, like the window is gone. As if that was their only opportunity. What about the opposite? When somebody actually is disgusted or offended by what their partner Mm -hmm. suddenly wants Mm -hmm. and they say, Mm -hmm. you know, now I see you totally differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one, right? And I think that, first of all, I think if there's some shock involved, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you need to give a couple days to just let it sink in. Um, and the person who was vulnerable and shared their, you know, um, their fantasy is going to feel super ashamed. Mm -hmm. And the other person is probably going to be pretty shocked. So I think just kind of letting that settle for, for a day or two is important, but I think it's important that if you hear something from your partner that you find gross, that's when we have to remember that each person has their own sexuality. So I constantly talk um, with men and women about your sexuality is yours. You may choose to share it with your partner um, or not, um, but it's really yours. And so I think it's super important that we understand that fantasies are not wishes. Right. Some of them might be, but when someone shares a fantasy, it's something they've thought about in their head. Um, You know, um, a common uh, fantasy for women is to be completely dominated by a man, right? Um, In sort of an aggressive way. Does that mean that the woman wants to be, you know, harmed in any way? No, of course not. 
unless that's their thing, um, unless that's their king. But, but, you know, we've got to leave space between this is a wish and I have to do it with you, or I'm going to be completely unsatisfied versus I wanted to share something about myself. And I do find that often people can soften around fantasies and develop some compassion for it, even if they themselves don't really understand it. But certainly trying not to be judgmental, trying not to gasp, (laughs) you know, when your partner shares something really vulnerable with you. I love what you just said about the space between, you know, what I want and what I fantasize, because people do see that as, oh, it's a challenge. Now he wants me to do it. I even have clients, and you probably have, that do things that they don't feel good about or that hurt them or, you know, that... They say, well, I did it because he said it was his fantasy and I didn't want, you know, and then there's resentment around it and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I often try to distinguish with uh, couples around, um, you know, I absolutely do not want to do that versus I'm not really in the mood or I don't think that's really going to turn me on, but I have a willingness to try. I, I do not think anyone should fool around, have sex, do anything when they're absolutely not okay with doing it. But I do think sometimes we need a little, you know, let me start kissing, right? That's that responsive arousal. Sometimes when you start, a lot of people will say, oh yeah, it's totally fine. It's just the getting going. And I say, yep, just like the gym, the main battle is just getting there. That's it's exact. Yeah, that's definitely. And it does take a bit. It's like, you know, you have to put that sports bra on before you ever even step yeah, outside exactly. sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So if our listeners are thinking, okay, how can I even start communicating? Are there some basic tools that we can give them that says, mm-hmm. okay, I can try that tonight? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's important to really figure out what am I, what do I want to communicate? Do I want, are we, do I want to have um, uh, a general conversation about how our sex life is going right now? Do I want to have a conversation about frequency? Um, Am I feeling bored? So I want to talk about how we can, you know, spice things up. So I think it's really important to be clear. So rather than throwing all of it in, that can be way too overwhelming. So I would say sort of, you know, pick kind of one area or two areas that you really want to talk about. And here's my main thing. Do not talk about it right before sex or right after. Okay. Because your brain's a little bit offline with, you know, endorphins and all sorts of things. And so you're really vulnerable after sex. So right after sex is not the time to say, oh, by the way, I've always hated your kissing style, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which by the way, unfortunately, a lot of people feel in marriages. And for that situation, for example, I will suggest, you know, another time setting a date Um, to say, hey, I thought we could check in about how things are going for us sexually. What's a good time for you? So this is not a sneak attack conversation. This is a, and everyone hates the word scheduled. I don't have a better word, but a date to talk or an agreed upon time. 
not when the kids are screaming, you know, not when there's a deadline for work. And no, there's no perfect time, but there are better times than others to talk about a really sensitive subject. So sit down away from the bedroom, so to speak, away from the, you know, sexual activity and invite your partner into a conversation. Um, The other thing is to go really slow. It's really important not to bombard your partner with lots of questions or lots of complaints. Um, The other thing is always, always start out with the positive. I call it a shit sandwich for every (laughs) difficult conversation with people. The, the, The beginning is, I love you. I want to talk with you about our sexual relationship because I love you and I want us to feel passionate toward each other forever. The middle is some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having some pelvic pain. I haven't spoke spoken up about it. I need you to know that when you do that one thing, I actually experience a lot of pain. I'm sorry I haven't shared it with you. Um, you know, also um, the frequency. I'm not feeling very happy with that. And then. By the way, remember, I love you. And I'm bringing this up because I want a long, successful, happy sexual relationship with you. Oh, yeah. Shit sandwich for everything, <laughs> not just sex. Right. Um, uh, but um, again, you've got to bookend it. You've got yeah. to bookend it with the why. Yeah. I love you. I value you. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if you're getting the pleasure you want in this relationship, right? It's not just, I have all these complaints. Uh It has to be a two-way street. So saying, how are you feeling about this? And really trying to assume the best intentions of your partner. They are not trying to hurt you. They are not trying to shame you unless they're assholes, but, um, (laughs) but that's not usually what's happening, right? We have to assume people are doing the best they can. Yeah especially our partner. Yeah. The, and I love you is very different than, uh, but you know, I love you, but you know, yep. Yeah. No, both. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure for you too, with oh, couples, yeah. I don't want to hear the word, but oh, no. I always want to hear the word. And yeah. this is true. And yeah. this is true at the same time. I love you. And there are a lot of things I like about our sexual relationship and I have fantasies that I want to share because they've been inside of me for so long. And I really think they could be fun for us to try. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'd like to do the high, low, and medium. Like there's, here's what's great, here's what's medium, and here's what I need help with. Whatever it is, that there's some kind of a balance in that conversation. And by the way, I do do that scheduled. I do it a state of our union and oh, it's perfect. like the last Sunday of every month, we go to the beach away from the house, away from our bedroom, and we sit yeah. and we talk about what's working, what's not working. Like it's a just, it's a, the safe place to do that. Yeah. I mean, and again, all these, um, I find men are less likely to want to schedule sex yeah. and women are a little bit more likely to want to. Um, but I always say, I mean, who are you kidding? You schedule your gym, right. your trainer. Yeah. You know, you schedule things. So what is the problem with scheduling sex, right? Now, again, I'm not saying it works for every single couple. There are couples who tend to feel feel more pressure with a sex date. But what I find is having a, you know, a date on the calendar um, 
is is can be really helpful because then you can start the foreplay the day before the that morning you know an extra long kiss that morning when you know you have a sex date later or a little sexting during the day or a little appreciation that you text it's so important to understand that it it really can't just start you know, okay, now we have our clothes off. We're staring at each other. Okay, fine. <laughs> that's right. That's that's really hard. Where you know you got to rev the engine a little bit. That's right. And so, yeah. figuring out, you know, um, as um, the uh, Nagat Emily Nagoski talks about in Come As You Are, what are the accelerators and what are the brakes? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So you know, um dirty socks on the bathroom floor that you've told your spouse about a thousand times is probably not the the best thing to tune into right before you're going to try to be sexy with your partner. Right. Um, so you've just got to find some ways also of creating a little bit of distance, right? Esther Perel, of course, has, you know, this whole wonderful notion of safety and erotica and erotic don't go very well together. So make it where you didn't see each other for a day or you missed each other a little more, or you haven't had sex in a while on purpose so that that night you're going to the hotel, you can make it extra special. Um, But we just forget all those skills when we were, you know, adolescents, which were so fun. Flirting can be amazing, but it's like somehow we just totally forget how to do it. Right. So try it out. If it feels silly, you can laugh with your partner about it. That's right. And there's no problem with just shaving your legs just in case. Yes. (laughs) Because if that's the stop, shave your legs. Right. And, and I think that's really important, right? So, so the, the, the whole idea of sex was never planned when we were younger. It was planned. We put on our cute underwear and shaved our legs. That's right. That was planned. There may have been a little more doubt whether the night would end up that way, Yeah, but it was, we were getting prepared. And so, you know, and again, you are responsible for your own libido and you are responsible for your own orgasm you cannot sit around waiting for him or her to figure it out figure it out yourself and teach your partner that's right and And be willing to learn send them links Right. <laughs> like what? You know? Well, I love this conversation with you. And I know that we're we've got all of your information, but if people want to contact you, how they can they find you? Yeah. So my through my website, of course, brookbraylove.com. And um I'm on Instagram and Facebook um at Brooke Braylove Psychotherapy. Thank you, Brooke. I think you're amazing. Thank you for your Thanks. time. Thank you so much for having me. For more information, visit our website at lifesauce.com. That's life-sauce.com. And be sure to follow us on social media for information about our upcoming podcasts. I'm Dr. Christy Wise. Thanks for joining us.